listening to Your Practice Made Perfect. Support, protection, and advice for practicing medical professionals. Brought to you by SVMIC. Welcome back to our podcast, Your Practice Made Perfect. Today's episode will focus on the importance of patient and physician relationships, along with ways you can currently improve them. We have compiled lessons learned and conversations from past episodes to create today's show. SVMIC's Katie Musacchio is here with us once again to narrate today's episode. Welcome, Katie. Thank you, Jay. It's no secret that physicians have an abundance of responsibilities. We wanted to give you a few tips and anecdotes from prior episodes on how to enhance your relationship with your patients. Hopefully, these snippets of information we've gathered can help create more fulfillment in your practice and help ease some of the stress you face as a provider each day. In a prior podcast episode of ours, episode 49, Taking Your Practice Online, we spoke with Dr. Kevin Poe. Dr. Poe is a board-certified internal medicine physician and the founder of Kevin MD, social media's leading physician voice. He talked about the pros and cons social media has had on the healthcare industry. He explains the importance of your online reputation and how you can get started in this realm if you haven't already. This is a forefront topic since our world has become so digitally based since the pandemic, and most of your patients will have searched for you online before ever stepping into your office. Let's take a listen to Dr. Poe's advice. More patients today aren't just going online to research diagnoses and treatment options. They're going online to research their doctors as well. I talk to patients all the time, and when I meet them for the first time in the clinic, they say, Dr. Poe, I Googled you online, and I, I know this and this about you. I know where you went <laughs> to school, I, and they know more about me than I know about them. And I think if you look at some statistics, it's like 60 to 70% of patients they Google their doctors online to do research, just like they do research with like a hotel or a restaurant. They do research on their doctors as well. And if doctors don't have an online presence that they control, like it or not, they have one already. You have these third-party rating sites that are out there and they get a lot of public data that may or may not be accurate and put it on a profile to make profiles of every single physician in the United States. And a lot of times it may not be to that doctor's liking. So I always say it's imperative to control one's online reputation, be proactive about defining yourself online, and never be defined by someone else. And I'm sure we're going to talk later on about some of the ways that we can do that. But when we talk about how important that is, it's really that first impression online that you give to patients because they're going to be Googling you. I think the point that resonates with most physicians is really that online reputation piece. The fact that patients are Googling them, and if they don't have an online presence already, they're going to have one made for them by these third-party rating sites. And we're talking about places like RateMDs, Vitals, HealthGrades, and Yelp. And it only takes a few hours to claim and make an online presence. I think every online presence, they have things in common. They have your bio and your headshot, and I think that it's important to start there. Have a professional headshot, have a bio that's well-written so people who find you on the web can know about you, and then 
Go to one of these rating sites and claim your profile. You can go to a vitals and health grades and claim your profile and personalize that page. And you could leverage your online presence with them already and personalize it by putting in a bio that you custom wrote or a headshot. Then there are two sites that I recommend, LinkedIn and Doximity. These are professional physician social networks. Well, Doximity is LinkedIn, of course, is a professional social network. And a profile on these sites are really just digital translations of a physician's CV. And I think that it's important to be on these sites specifically because they actually rank high when your name is Googled. And if they Google your name and they find you on these sites and they see professional information, that's something that you can define online that you would want patients to see. And I think all of these things takes no more than an hour or two to do. And at minimum, every physician should at least start there. Now, whether they choose to move forward and go on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or start a blog, that's really up to them. And it depends on what a physician's goals are, because there are some doctors who may want to use social media to educate patients, like I mentioned earlier. There are some doctors who may want to connect with their colleagues and learn from them. There may be some doctors who want to discuss healthcare reform and some of the more provocative and controversial issues of healthcare. And I think it depends on what those goals are because there are specific platforms that fit those goals. And of course, there are some doctors who may not want to do any of those things, in which case they can stop after creating a profile on LinkedIn Doximity and there. And for that, they will be already ahead of the curve. So once they start that basic step, whether they want to move forward is totally up to them. I think there are services that can help a physician build their online presence. But I think when you use a third-party service or if you outsource it, you lose your authenticity. You lose your voice. If you don't have any time and you want to outsource it, certainly it's better than nothing. Be careful who you outsource it to. But I think that a lot of these social media platforms are easy enough for the individual physician. And I do want to highlight what you said earlier about it being an individual decision. I talked to a lot of doctors And they say, why do I have to use social media? A lot of people are telling me that I have to use social media. I don't know where to start. So I think that gets a little bit backwards. Physicians shouldn't use social media for the sake of using it. They need to start with specific goals in mind. And that's what I try to impress on doctors when I talk to them. Why do you want to do it? And then they start thinking, hey, I want to educate patients. I want to talk about the latest in healthcare reform. And that really clarifies the goals for them. And once they have those goals, there are, like I said earlier, there are specific platforms that fit those goals. For instance, Facebook, I think it's a wonderful way for physicians to connect directly with patients and educate them. You could have a professional Facebook page for your practice where you could do that. I think Twitter specifically is great for doctors to talk to one another and learn from other thought leaders. For doctors who may be more comfortable on video, then of course you could do YouTube or or Facebook or even Facebook Live and have uh, real-time interaction. The beauty about social media is that there are so many tools that fit not only an individual physician's strengths and personalities, but their individual goals as well. Your relationship with your patient can already begin before the first appointment based on how you're viewed online. Dr. Poe made a great point that you should try to control the way you're seen online by creating your own accounts and presenting yourself in the way you wish to be seen. Having a good relationship with all of your patients also comes from the way you interact with them during visits. Another prior guest we've had on our podcast is Dr. Rebecca Bernard. 
Dr. Bernard is a family physician, an author, and a national speaker on the topic of physician wellness. On episode 58, It's All About Attitude, she discussed her book with us, titled The Rockstar Doctor's Guide, Change Your Thinking, Improve Your Life. Let's take a listen to her explain the details of this book. You know, a long time ago when I was in my residency, I had an attending that told me that every time you're in front of a patient, you're on stage. And I really held on to that idea. I realized that we really, as physicians, we have to always give out the appearance and the affect that patients are looking for and what patients want. And it can be hard sometimes because we may have days when we're not feeling well. We may have just given somebody else bad news. And so we're not really feeling particularly chipper or upbeat. But when we walk into that next patient room, we're really on stage in front of that patient. We're kind of putting on a little bit of a performance, if you will, for them. So the book tries to teach doctors how to get on stage and how to give that appearance of being the ideal doctor that patients are really looking for. And when you do that, Number one, if you're not in a really great mood to begin with, sometimes you can actually feel better just by acting a little happier and acting a little more into the experience. And secondly, you get a lot more out of your patients that way. If you walk in with a certain type of an attitude, you actually can motivate your patients to be better with you. So getting on stage helps you as a doctor and it helps you get more out of your patients. I came up with 10 different rock star rules and some of them are are more important than others. The, The number one is that really you are on stage and so you want to portray those qualities that patients are looking for. One of the biggest qualities that patients are looking for is a doctor that has an affable personality. You know, sometimes you hear them say that there's the three A's of what people want in its availability, which is actually the number one thing people want. They want their doctor to be around when they need them affability, which is just somebody that's likable and that's somebody that they just like to hang around with. And the third is ability, which is interesting because that's the, the thing that patients are the least interested in. They <laughs> sort of expect that all doctors know what they're doing. So what they're looking for really is the availability and the affability. So you want to portray the type of doctor that's you know just kind of a nice person and a person that's interested in them and just kind of a person that they wouldn't mind just hanging around with. Sure. So the best way to do that is really, number one, just to listen to your patients. And that's something that doctors are not always very good at. In fact, I think the studies show that we interrupt our patients in about 22 seconds of them talking. And if we would just let them talk a little bit longer, they say actually six more seconds, they would actually finish what they were starting to say and they would feel as if they were heard So in the book, I call it six seconds to rock star, which is just giving people a few extra seconds to finish what they're saying and just listening to them. It makes a big difference. So the key to having patients feel heard is to listen to them and to repeat back, do something that's called emotional mirroring and verification and validation. So in other words, when you have a patient that has a laundry list of complaints and problems, Number one, we as physicians need to acknowledge that we cannot solve or remedy everything on that list, at least not today. Right. But we can listen to what they have to say, and we can acknowledge that we've heard it and let the patient know that we've heard it. And the way we do that is when they say, well, also, my head hurts and it runs down the back of my neck and then my toe tingles. You can say, so you said your head hurts, it runs down the back of your neck 
and your toe tingles. Is that right? And they say, that's right. And then you say, well, that must be very uncomfortable. So you just acknowledged what they said. You verified that you had it right. And then you gave them some validation of their feelings. That's all you have to do. You don't necessarily have to solve it. Then you can say, but I can't talk about all of that today because we have some other issues that are more pressing. So I want to focus on the diabetes. That's the main issue today. And then next time we'll get more into these other situations, these other pains and symptoms that you're having. You know, when you talk about showing empathy, a lot of doctors have empathy, but they may not be that great at showing empathy to their patients. And there are some tricks that doctors can do that are pretty simple. You know, one is just simply smiling just by smiling at a patient, you're showing them that you're warm and you're friendly and that you care for them. Right. Another is a little bit of physical contact, just shaking hands or putting your hand on their elbow or their shoulder. And then doing what we call active listening. So you're not just listening, but you're showing that you're listening by nodding your head, by giving them those uh, verbal cues like, yes, I hear you, go on. So those kinds of things can show more empathy towards your patients. And even just sitting down while the patient's talking and not standing over them or standing with your hand on the door. It is scary to be a patient. I think doctors, we need to remember that. And sometimes it's good for us to sit up on that exam table and to remember what it feels like to be in that position. It's a good experience. You know, we may be saying something for the hundredth time, but it's the first time that patient's ever hearing it. It's the first time that they've ever experienced a particular procedure, even though we've done it, we could do it in our sleep. So we do need to have a lot of empathy for what people are going through. And sometimes it helps for us to go through an experience just so that we realize what it's like. It's scary. SVMIC spoke with Dr. Scott Fowler in 2019 as well. Dr. Fowler is the president and CEO of Holston Medical Group. This conversation exemplifies the approach of professionalism in healthcare. Dr. Fowler explains his take on what professionalism means as a physician and how important this role is in our society. Let's take a dive into Dr. Fowler's discourse. I think what you have to understand about medicine, and it's true about law, so I want to kind of bring this idea that there is something specifically very important that's different in medicine than it is in many, many, many other occupations. And there are other occupations that may use the term professional Mm -hmm. to describe those people. What professionalism really is, is a recognition that you're in a bargaining position vis-a-vis the person that you're supposed to be taking care of or you're supposed to be responsible for. You're in a position where the bargaining position is such that unless you're very intent on putting that person, well, before yourself and before other things, that can allow you to very easily put yourself first in front of the patient. So that happens in law, and everybody knows the lawyers are supposed to be making a lot of decisions that are focused on what are the rights of their clients. But it's true in medicine, too, and, and I think it gets lost a little more easily in medicine. When you become a doctor, you know this from, from the start. You know that when you raise your hand and you take the oath, that the oath is to, to, you know, above all, do no harm, to put your patient first, to recognize that medicine is something that's the right to practice medicine, something that's given to you. you. You earn the right to stand in line, but in the end, society makes a covenant with you and says, look, you have all this information, you have all this knowledge, and now we're going to give you a license that gives you a monopoly. Yeah. And what we're asking you to do in return is promise us 
that you'll recognize the practice of medicine is not a business. It's not a trade. It's a calling. And it's about exercising a very complex combination of science and art and getting along with patients in a way that benefits it will benefit you. There's no question. Professionalism makes the practice of medicine what it is, but it ultimately benefits the patient in society. And the only other versions of medical care are purely business versions or sort of medical industrial mm-hmm. versions where patients are sort of widgets and doctors are laborers. And those are very non-productive, both from the point of view of quality and the point of view of satisfaction for patients and for doctors. So that's my definition of professionalism. It's really a recognition that you have received something and you've promised, you made an oath, to profess means to promise. So a professional promise is very different. For instance, in a labor union, you have a bunch of people to get together in a society or in a group. Their interest is themselves. They're there to advocate for themselves. They're there to advocate for better pay, better working hours, things like that. A profession is also an aggregation, but it's an aggregation where what you're doing is you're advocating for somebody other than yourself. You're actually advocating for the patient. And to do that, you sort of have to recognize that there are several parts. And so the second part of professionalism is to realize it's an oath, but it's also to realize that it's more than an oath just to the patient. It's an oath to put the patient first, but in order to do that, you also have to put the profession, you have to recognize your relationship with the other professionals that are in the care models with you are, is just as important as your relationship with the patient. So you can't let that get interrupted, discoordinated any more than you can your care with the patient. And then lastly, it's an oath that you took all together, you and, your, and the rest of your colleagues, to care for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's with society. It's not about does somebody have insurance and does somebody not? So sure. ultimately, we have to figure out together with society how this thing's going to work. So that's long-winded. It is kind of a, a long-winded way to say this is the cornerstone. Without this, there is no profession of medicine. It doesn't exist. And professionalism is the thing that makes medicine work. It's the cornerstone. You know, I tell a story about when I first put on a white jacket after I'd finished medical school and I was I think I was still a student, quite frankly, but <laughs> but I walked into a room and there, there were a lot of people moving around in the room, but it was an older woman and she was pretty sick and there was a lot of discussion about what was going on with her. But at the end, you know, like medical students do, I, I stayed in the room after everybody else left to do whatever the things were that I was going to do. And she called me over and I had the short white coat on back then. That's what students wore, but yes. it was a white coat. <laughs> and she called me over and she said, you know, doc, what do you think I ought to do? You heard all of this. What do you think I ought to do? And I'm sitting there thinking, listen, I'm a medical student, okay? Why are you asking me this incredibly important question about your life and you're going to make this decision? And, you know, when you put that coat on, you didn't earn it. It got Mm -hmm. given to you. The patients understand and respect you because you're in the banner of professionalism. And you're absolutely right. If you let for a minute, if you let your guard drop, And you fail to recognize that they are putting their life in your hands, basically. And they do it willingly because they expect the return and the return has to be there. There can't even be the appearance that there's impropriety in what you're trying to do there. So I agree with you. It's a, and it's very special and it is lawyers do have this too. 
and there are other things. But for medicine, without it, the whole thing falls apart. It becomes a charlatan. Right. It becomes snake oil salesmen. It becomes people trying to figure out how many of this they can do and how many of that they can do to make money. And look, medicine has a business. In other words, it's not you can't sustain anything in a marketplace unless you figure out how to run it as a business. Absolutely. But medicine is not at its heart a business. It's something that has to stand above that. And it's like I tell my colleagues here, and we we all agree on this, if we can put the patient first, if we can recognize that's how we do our job well, all the rest of it comes. Society actually wants doctors to have status. They give it to them. Yeah. Doctors don't earn it. They just get it by being a doctor. They want doctors to make good money. They don't want... They're not making decisions about that. They expect highly educated people who are out there that they're calling on to have money to live their lives and to have good status in their lives. So we don't have to struggle for that. That will be there. And it always has been there. Yeah. We just have to respect that the way we earn that is, quite frankly, by being professionals. If we combine the perspectives of Dr. Poe, Dr. Bernard, and Dr. Fowler, we're truly given a well-rounded approach to improving patient care and relationships. Thank you once again for tuning in to my narration of today's show. And with that, I'll hand it back to Jay. Thank you, Katie, for narrating this topic of conversation for us. Relationships are so important to cultivate and maintain, so we hope taking you through the insights of our prior guests has been a benefit to you and your practice. Thank you for tuning in, And please feel free to visit our show notes to listen to the full episodes mentioned throughout today's show. 